Hello and welcome to The Daily Reprieve, where we provide essay speaker meetings, workshops, and conferences in podcast format. We are an ad-free podcast. If you enjoy listening, please help us be self-supporting by going to donate.thedailyreprieve.com and drop a dollar or two into the virtual basket. We would also like to inform you of an upcoming Sexaholics Anonymous Internet Marathon. Around the World in 24 Hours will take place starting at noon Universal Time on November 29th and will end promptly at noon Universal Time on November the 30th. It's free to register online at www.sim.sexaholicsanonymous.eu. Thank you very much, and without further ado, welcome to The Daily Reprieve. Greetings. This is Amjad. I have a hopeless state of mind and body, but I have been miraculously sober since February 16th of 2015. And welcome to the White Book Study. Today is the first share, and we'll be starting as we get inside the cover to The Problem on page V. The Problem Many of us felt inadequate, unworthy, alone, and afraid. Our insides never matched what we saw on the outsides of others. Early on, we came to feel disconnected from parents, from peers, from ourselves. We tuned out with fantasy and masturbation. We plugged in by drinking in the pictures, the images, and pursuing the objects of our fantasies. We lusted and wanted to be lusted after. We became true addicts, Sex with self, promiscuity, adultery, dependency relationships, and more fantasy. We got it through the eyes. We bought it. We sold it. We traded it. We gave it away. We were addicted to the intrigue, the tease, the forbidden. The only way we knew to be free of it was to do it. Please connect with me and make me whole. We cried with outstretched arms. Lusting after the big fix, we gave away our power to others. This produced guilt, self-hatred, remorse, emptiness, and pain, and we were driven ever inward, away from reality, away from love, lost inside ourselves. Our habit made true intimacy impossible. We could never know real union with another because we were addicted to the unreal. We went for the chemistry, the connection that had the magic, because it bypassed intimacy and true union. Fantasy corrupted the real, lust killed loved. First addicts, then love cripples. We took from others to fill up what was lacking in ourselves, conning ourselves time and again that the next one would save us. We were really losing our lives. This particular reading... This, the problem and then the solution are probably the first two readings that I came across when I came into the program. Unlike uh, maybe some others, I had never experienced Alcoholics Anonymous or any other 12-step program. Uh, when I walked into the, my first essay meeting, uh, these were the two readings, the problem and then the solution. Uh, and I think they read How It Works, but I, I remember when they read the problem in the meeting and I'm sitting there listening and I thought someone had literally gotten inside of me and found out exactly how I felt. 
you know, maybe a couple of things in here I, I couldn't relate to, but the rest of it was my story. And I read it, the problem and the solution so much in early sobriety that I, I came to almost have them memorized. Uh, to this day, I mean, I'll, uh, I'll kind of notice myself lusting and I'll, I'll catch myself saying to my, saying, I must be feeling inadequate, unworthy, alone, and afraid. My insides are not matching what I'm seeing on the outsides of others. And, you know, that's, it's like an immediate, sort of brings light to what's happening inside of me. That feeling of just, I'm not good enough. Uh, I'm alone. And, you know, fear is driving me. And I look at these other people and they're happy and they're good looking and they're in love. And, you know, look at how they're holding hands. And, you know, it's all these really, you know, tall, intelligent, good looking people. They seem very wealthy. Most likely they don't have any financial problems. And, in reality, I have no idea what these people are going through. Yet here I am looking at their outsides and saying, I don't feel that way. I don't feel good looking. I don't feel loved. I don't feel I have so many financial fears and social fears. Uh, so I, I, I feel disconnected. I disconnected from everyone around me. And the only way I could survive that was fantasy and masturbation. And I really love the, that, that uh, Roy used the word fantasy here instead of lust because fantasy for me comes in so many different forms and it's not just lust it starts with a lot of different ways and it's basically me not being happy with my reality and uh, somehow that always leads to lust Uh, but I plugged in by drinking in the pictures the image and pursuing the objects of our fantasies you know that was me I just wanted I wanted to be a part of a different world And somehow it always came down to, I lusted and I wanted to be lusted after. Uh, Then I became a true addict. And here, you know, again, it talks about sex with self and uh, dependency relationships and more fantasy, more fantasy, just running away from reality. I got it through the eyes. I bought it. I sold it. I traded it. I gave it away. You know, it's like uh, this next sentence, we were addicted to the intrigue, the tease, the forbidden. That was a huge part of my addiction. It still is. That if it's not allowed, then it's therefore attractive. You know, uh, that, that was the one thing that I never could understand. I thought once I got married, all my problems would be solved. Once I got married and lost my virginity, and you know, I would no longer have this issue. And I thought the only reason I was looking at porn and all these other things is because I was a virgin. Well, guess what? I got married and it didn't solve the problem because, you know, there was what I no longer had that forbidden part. And the only way I knew how to be free to this day, it's like I, you know, if I get hit with lust and I don't turn to God, then what happens, it very quickly becomes if you don't engage this lust, you'll die or it will forever haunt you. Uh, Please connect with me and make me whole. And that sums up my whole entire life. That's what I want more than anything. I want the world around with me to connect with me and fill up the hole that is lacking inside of myself. With my arms open, I'm crying out to the universe saying, connect with me, connect with me. Help fill that void inside of me, that hole inside of me. And I'm lusting after the big fix. And here when they have the big fix in capitals, 
to me, what that has always said is it's that, that magical moment when I get that one lust experience that is going to solve all my lust addiction and all my problems. It's just that if I could just, I remember like even looking at lustful images, I would look at pornography and then like 15 minutes later, I'd be thinking, you know why I'm still suffering is because I didn't look at it from the right angle. And then I would go back and I would try to look at it from a different angle or maybe study a different part of the image, uh, trying to find the big fix, hoping that one one day I would see the image or have some sort of experience that would just solve all my problems. And I was giving away my power to others. So, of course, this for me created a lot of shame, a lot of guilt. Self-hatred to me here is a very soft word for how I felt. I mean, mine was much more of self-loathing, and self-loathing has been the core of my existence. It drives my fear, it drives my lust, it drives my anger. It's just, I am—I feel there's a part of me that can't stand myself. And so it leaves me with remorse and emptiness and pain. And I guess what? I run more from reality, more to fantasy, deeper inside myself into the little fantasy world that I've created inside myself to the imaginary creatures that I have created, that I've imagined and made up. They might be based on a real person, but they don't interact. Like even my lust version of my wife in my head is nothing like my real wife. She doesn't act that way. She doesn't talk that way. She doesn't think that way. But I have this imaginary version in my head and I run away from reality, away from love, lost inside myself. And because of that, my habit, this habit, made true intimacy impossible. I couldn't connect with another human being on a, on a level of like soul-to-soul connection. And I, where I learned intimacy was in this program, when I, where I can share my deepest, darkest secrets, and another person can share their deepest, darkest secrets with me. And that true intimacy, because now when I bring my deepest, darkest secrets out... And if you read the guidelines that I posted, I, one of my favorite sections from the end of the white book where it talks about leading with the weakness and risk, you know, risking self-disclosure. I, I put what's inside of me out. And as a result, I experienced true intimacy. Uh, I could never know real union with another because I was addicted to the unreal. And here it says real union and for me, when I was when I first read this, you know, first heard it, I'm a sexaholic, so I'm thinking, oh, no wonder I haven't been able to get like that that magical sex moment, because you know I'm addicted to the unreal, and you know it's right here. It's talking about real union, and I'm thinking they're talking about sex, <laughs> but I now believe that what they're what what it's discussing here is that real union where my soul connects with another person's soul in a real way. See, I always went for the chemistry. I wanted that connection that had the magic because it bypassed intimacy and true union. See, in my lust of world, I didn't need to make a soul connection with anybody because I didn't believe I was worthy of that. I, didn't, I believed that if I told you the stuff that's going on inside of my head, you would run. So instead, I went for the chemistry. I went for that, that magical experience that I had almost the other day where I was standing in the elevator by myself at night, and uh, I, had, I, was on, I had three more floors, and this beautiful, tall woman gets onto the elevator and was just extremely friendly, extremely friendly to me. 
And I talked to her, like, I tried to not talk to her, but it's like she just was so talkative and so friendly and she's laughing. And we got off the elevator. I had every desire to see if she was available for the next four hours to go sit somewhere in a coffee shop and talk. Because I just wanted to hear that experience. I wanted that chemistry that we were experiencing. But we were talking about nothing. You know, she I don't even remember what she was saying. It was like something about the elevator, you know, about how quickly the elevator door opened or something. But to me, it was like the most magical conversation ever on the planet. Because I had this whole fantasy built around it about how we were going to be great friends. And she would share her deep secrets with me. And I would laugh. And we would have coffee. And lust wasn't even on the scene yet. But by the grace of God, as soon as we got off the elevator, I turned. I said, have a great evening and walked. And that, that of course, is a miracle. But here it talks about fantasy corrupted the real. Lust killed love. And that is a common theme in the White Book. Where it talks about how lust destroys my ability to love. It destroys my ability for intimacy. It destroys my ability to be healthy human being that can have healthy relationships. So first addicts, then love cripples. We took from others to fill up what was lacking in ourselves. And you know, I, I, this, this whole idea of taking, that in my whole marriage, I've been married 21 years, and my whole marriage, I kept saying like, why won't my wife talk to me this way? Why won't she look at me this way? Why can't she be you know, the wife that I want her to be? Because I wanted to take from her to fill up what was lacking in myself. To fill up what was lacking in myself. But this program has taught me that it's better for me to focus on how I can give of myself to fill up others and give to others. But conning myself time and time again that the next one would save me. I was really losing my life. And this talks about that big fix, you know, every time just conning, you know, tricking myself, fooling myself into believing that if I just had one more experience, one more, if I just, the next one is the one that's going to save me. But in reality, my life was getting destroyed and my ability to function as a human being was getting destroyed. Thanks for letting me share. Uh, It's my experience, strength and hope on the problem. Uh, As we go through this white book study, I hope and pray that uh, what you find here, may it be from God and not from any of those of us who are sharing, uh, in particular myself, uh, I ask that he, that it be through me and not from me. Uh, and I hope that we all have a, a new experience and an open mind. And I'm definitely humbled and honored for this opportunity to serve. And with that, I'll end. Thank you for letting me share. Greetings. This is Amjad, the Miraculously Recovered Sexaholic. Uh, I am continuing in the White Book study, and I just wanted to post a relatively brief description of the contents on page VI, or 6 in Roman numerals, and VII. Uh, This comes right after the problem, which I shared on last time, and I've asked someone else to share on on the preface, but I wanted to just briefly give, like, go over the contents of the White Book and the structure of how it's set up. And so for me, what what I hear see in this white book and the way that it's it's designed is it talks it's kind of there's that introductory part the preface to the newcomer and a personal story uh, which is Roy K's story and that kind of sets the stage for me 
uh, in terms of what, you know, so that I can make a connection and a relation to the book and to the story of Roy and say, yes, I too may be a sexaholic. Uh, and then in part one, there's a description of the problem. And that's those chapters on sexaholism, lust, and the spiritual basis of addiction. In early sobriety, those were my favorite chapters. I read them over and over and over, and I really never even got into the solution because I just was so amazed by how well it described my disease and the underlying root causes of my disease. But, uh, you know, what I didn't realize at that time was that none of that promises me any kind of recovery. It's just a description to understand where my disease is coming from, not a uh, solution to uh, how I'm going to recover or how I'm going to be able to help others. And uh, I, I love on page 58, which is the end of part one, where it, there's a paragraph that says, You don't have to understand any of this to recover. If it has parted the veil of obscurity and misinformation, cloaking our condition for only a brief glimpse inside, it will have served its purpose. Uh, it should also help those of us in recovery to understand the radical nature of the change of heart and character that must continue if we are to live sober, joyous, and free. And so what I get out of that little paragraph on page 58 is that, you know, the purpose of that part one is for me to know what it is that I need to pray for. What is that, what needs to happen inside of me for me to move forward in my recovery? So it's kind of like it gives me a picture of what my prayer should look like or what should I be praying for? What should I be, what does that spiritual experience need to look like? Uh, that that uh, we've been discussing in the big book study, uh, and so you know it, it. And the knowledge of all of that didn't avail me, and I, I'm a perfect testament to that. All that knowledge didn't keep me sober. And then in part two is where it goes into the solution. Uh, probably one of the most, uh, to me, for me, the the chapter that really, really, really helped me in early uh, sobriety was getting started on page uh, from 60 to uh, 76. Uh, But that uh, 63, that chapter right there, to me is just such a beautiful description of surrender. And when I read that, I hear the uh, kind of the progression of surrender and how it starts and then it it matures and goes into different levels, uh, and so for me that uh, you know that chapter really helped me understand the concept of surrender uh, before before even being able to really get into uh, the steps because I was struggling. I was trying so hard to do the steps, and um, you know I I was doing them, but I was so fixated on the on the actions rather than the attitude. And this just really helped me from a perspective of sexaholism, uh, kind of really brought it all home for me. Uh, and it's it's very practical. There's some practical tips in that getting started chapter. Then it goes through, uh, you know, all the steps um, from step one all the way to step 12, uh, which for me, you know, is not meant to replace the big book, which describes in detail how to do those steps, but just to kind of draw the correlation between the alcoholism and the sexaholism so that when I'm doing the steps as described in the big book that I can get kind of that additional information about sexaholism that's not available in the big book. 
so that somebody like me gets that added benefit out of the big book, uh, you know, in a, in a way that only a sexaholic can explain to me. And Roy K was a sexaholic, as he uh, attempts to show us in his personal story on page nine. Uh, the chapter Overcoming Lust and Temptation on page 157 is, uh, there's 18 kind of suggestions of how to overcome lust and temptation. Uh, we, you know, you may have heard of it uh, fondly called the 18-wheeler, uh, describing one of those big trucks with the 18 wheels. Uh, but it, uh, the 18-wheeler here is, it's 18 things that really, uh, most of them draw back to other concepts in the in the white book. Uh, but it's just sort of a synopsis that ties it all together. Uh, that's something that, you know, at least here locally in our group, uh, sponsors are off, often direct their sponsees to that section very often to say, you know, go check in there and see see which one of those that uh, maybe is describing where you're at right now. And then in part three, it talks about the fellowship of sobriety and what does that look like. Uh, and this description was really there kind of like in early AA when there were no groups and no, you know, it was a small fellowship. Uh, this was meant, this is meant to be kind of a description of starting a group, meetings, how they work, and the sobriety definition. Um, I'm not going to go into detail, a lot of detail about the sobriety definition. When we get to that part, we can discuss it, but uh, there's a lot of controversy around the sobriety definition, but I have met many, many people who've come from other S groups that one of the things that uh, they've said they really enjoy about the the essay version of the sobriety definition is that it's just very defined, and uh, there's not a lot of debate, and in the sense that there's not a lot of debate in my mind of what that is. And, and you know, other S fellowships allow the individual to kind of come up with their own sobriety definition, like what does it mean? It's very different than uh, in alcoholism. Alcoholism, you drink, you know, you're you just lost your sobriety. Uh, in in sexaholism, as uh, I'm sure everyone probably knows, but for me, it really comes down to, I mean, there's so many different ways I can really violate that. Uh, I heard once in another, that someone in another S-fellowship told me they had a member who his own personal sobriety definition was, as long as he didn't spend money on it, uh, he considered himself sober. And that really scared me, which is why I, I didn't stick around in that S-fellowship. Uh, but this sobriety definition, despite all the controversy around it, uh, and the controversy, I'll, you know, in case you're sitting there wondering, what is he talking about, uh, is where it talks about uh, no sex uh, outside of marriage, and it defines marriage as between a man and a woman. Uh, and so that, you know, the definition, because there's a lot of members who have come in who identify as uh, not necessarily being heterosexual. Uh, and so, um, they're, they're, for that reason, there's some controversy around that. And then finally, the appendices, uh, which has a, an example of the essay meeting format, uh, some of the readings that are commonly used uh, you know, uh, the, in meetings, and where to go for more information. And so that's the layout. I just wanted to kind of go over that briefly uh, before we get, uh, further into the white book, I, I feel like not discussing the contents as how it's all laid out would be a disservice to everyone who's doing this uh, white book study. Uh, thanks for letting me share and uh, really appreciate uh, everyone's participation. I'm completely humbled and actually in kind of, I guess, ending with a weakness, uh, I'm, I'm 
a little nervous about this responsibility in that uh, I'm praying and asking God that if there are other people who have some really deep experiences with the white book, if you know, if they step forward, because I'm I don't trust my ego, and I, I'm I'm been really praying about that and my, my sponsor reminded me about that as well so I just want to put that into the light uh, but if God calls me to the service and if there's any way that I can assist to bringing some light to the white book I, I hope that he uses me for that alright well have a wonderful uh, wonderful rest of your day hello my name is Farley H um, and I've been asked to speak on a preface of the white book. Um, let me see here. The preface brief, briefly describes the origins of the white book, uh, put together primarily, um, as indicated by a number of people who were finding recovery and there was a number of, um, things that were working for them or not working for them. And basically, they were following the pattern as Roy had first entered into AA to find something to help him with dealing with his sex addiction. And as he did, he found that there were people in there uh, similar to him, and he started to use that fellowship's protocol for trying to stay sober from acting out the way he was acting out. Yet, uh, it was a powerful opportunity for him to reach out to a power greater than himself although Roy had much experience dealing with uh, religious aspects earlier in his life so by by going into this and then beginning to get other people involved some of the most notable people were people like Jess L uh, Harvey A uh, Mike C, David M. There, there's quite a few others, uh, old timer Sylvia, who um, helped put things together. And from my understanding, David M. from Portland was um, acted as an editor um, for the White Book and helped put a lot of it together. He also um, also did a lot of the final editing. But the preface here is really based on um, just just indicating that that's where the direction came from, um, from AA. I uh, just want to add a little, a little something hurt. I, I heard at a convention, uh, one of the Portland conventions, um, there was a fellow from, I think, Carolina, and, and it's one of my favorite scenes, uh, seeing as I came from the beverage program as well, is, is that um, I got my graduate degree from the big books of Alcoholics Anonymous. But I'm getting my PhD from the white book. And that is very powerful for me, um, having sponsors in both, both programs. Uh, maybe it's just me, but having to work the essay program so hard um, is evidence to me that I'm I am truly dealing with a core addiction, and that's really what the preface is merely saying: is that this is where it really comes from. It comes from using this 
modified portion, modified version of the AA's 12 steps to use against lust addiction. And um, I think it does a heck of a job. Um, yeah, something borrowed, something gained. I, I also want to make mention that, you know, even though the AA is, AA form of recovery is considered, you know, the original, that anybody with any history on that recognizes that most of it came through the Oxford group and was modified for use by people trying to recover from, um, from being sex drunks. I'm sorry, from being alcoholics and then eventually narcotics and, and all the other, uh, groups that use it. Just want to say, as, uh, Amjad said in the first recording about the reason for this group is that this is really where I started to find the spirituality and the spiritual awakening I needed, the abandoning myself to God to, um, to recover from this. Um, I have a, a long and nasty history that, uh, that brought me to my knees in this program. And I'm, uh, I'm standing upright today because of this program. And yeah, I hope, uh, hope that says something to someone. Anyways, um, here's the start of my white book, uh, sharing. Thanks. Farley H.